J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 106 Parable of the Pharisee and the Tax Collector Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 And he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalts himself shall be abased, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. The parable we have now read is closely connected with the one which immediately precedes it. The parable of the persevering widow teaches the value of importunity in prayer. The parable of the Pharisee and tax collector teaches the spirit which should pervade our prayers. The first parable encourages us to pray and never give up. The second parable reminds us how and in what manner we ought to pray. Both parables should be often pondered by every true Christian. Let us notice, firstly, the sin against which our Lord Jesus Christ warns us in these verses. There's no difficulty in finding this out. Luke tells us expressly that he spoke this parable to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. The sin which our Lord denounces is self-righteousness. We're all naturally self-righteous. It's the family disease of all the children of Adam. From the highest to the lowest, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We secretly flatter ourselves that we're not as bad as some, and that we have something to merit the favor of God. We forget the plain testimony of Scripture. We all stumble in many ways. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. What is man that he should be pure? or one born of woman, that he could be righteous. There is no one righteous, not even one. James chapter 3, verse 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, Job chapter 15, verse 14, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. The true cure for self-righteousness is self-knowledge. Once let the eyes of our understanding be opened by the Spirit, and we will no longer talk of our own goodness. Once let us see what there is in our hearts and what the holy law of God requires, and self-conceit will die. We shall lay our hand on our mouths and cry with the leper, Unclean! Unclean! Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. Let us notice secondly in these verses the prayer of the Pharisee which our Lord condemns. We read that he said, God, I thank you that I am not as other men are, 
extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all I possess. One great defect stands out on the face of this prayer, a defect so glaring that even a child might mark it. It exhibits no sense of sin and need. It contains no confession and no petition, no acknowledgement of guilt and emptiness, no supplication for mercy and grace. It is a mere boasting recital of imagined merits accompanied by an uncharitable reflection on a brother sinner. It is a proud, high-minded profession, destitute alike of penitence, humility, and love. In short, it hardly deserves to be called a prayer at all. No state of soul can be conceived so dangerous as that of the Pharisee. Never are men's bodies in such desperate plight as when disease and insensibility set in. In the same way, never are men's hearts in such a hopeless condition as when they are not sensible of their own sins. He who would not make shipwreck on this rock must beware of measuring himself by his neighbors. What does it signify that we are more moral than other men? We are all vile and imperfect in the sight of God. If we contend with him, we cannot answer him one in a thousand. Job chapter 9, verse 3. Let us remember this. In all our self-examination, let us not test ourselves by comparisons with other men. Let us look at nothing but the requirements of God. He who acts on this principle will never be a Pharisee. Let us notice thirdly in these verses the prayer of the tax collector which our Lord commends. His prayer was in every respect the very opposite of that of the Pharisee. We read that he stood afar off and smote upon his bosom and said, God be merciful to me a sinner. Our Lord himself stamps this short prayer with a seal of his approbation. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The excellence of the tax collector's prayer consists in five points, each of which deserves attention. 1. For one thing, it was a real petition, a prayer which only contains thanksgiving and profession and asks nothing is essentially defective. It may be suitable for an angel, but it's not suitable for a sinner. 2. For another thing, it was a personal prayer. The tax collector did not speak of his neighbors, but himself. Vagueness and generality are the great defects of most men's religion. To get out of we and our and us into I and my and me is a great step toward heaven. 3. For another thing, it was a humble prayer, a prayer which put self in the right place. The tax collector confessed plainly that he was a sinner. This is the very starting point of saving Christianity. We never begin to be good until we can feel and confess that we are bad. 4. For another thing, it was a prayer in which mercy was the chief thing desired and faith in God's covenant mercy, however weak, was displayed. 
Mercy is the first thing we must ask for in the day we begin to pray. Mercy and grace must be the subject of our daily petitions at the throne of grace until the day we die. 5. Finally, the tax collector's prayer was one which came from his heart. He was deeply moved in uttering it. He smote upon his bosom like one who felt more than he could express. Such prayers are the prayers which are God's delight. A broken and a contrite heart he will not despise. Psalm 51 verse 17 Let these things sink down into our hearts. He who has learned to feel his sins has great reason to be thankful. We are never in the way of salvation until we know that we are lost, ruined, guilty, and helpless sinners. Happy indeed is he who is not ashamed to sit by the side of the tax collector. When our experience tallies with his, we may hope that we found a place in the family of God. Let us notice lastly in these verses the high praise which our Lord bestows on humility. He says, Everyone who exalts himself shall be abased, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. The principle here laid down is so frequently found in the Bible that it ought to be deeply engraved in our memories. Three times we find our Lord using the words before us in the Gospels, and on three distinct occasions. Humility, he would evidently impress upon us, is among the first and foremost graces of the Christian character. It was a leading grace in Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Job, Isaiah, and Daniel. It ought to be a leading grace in all who profess to serve Christ. Not all the Lord's people have money to give. Not all are called to preach or write or fill a prominent place in the church. But all are called to be humble. One grace, at least, should adorn the poorest and most unlearned believer. That grace is humility. Let us leave the whole passage with a deep sense of the great encouragement it affords to all who feel their sins and cry to God for mercy in Christ's name. Their sins may have been many and great, their prayers may seem weak, faltering, unconnected and poor, but let them remember the tax collector and take courage. That same Jesus who commended his prayer is now sitting at the right hand of God to receive sinners. Then let them hope and pray on.